0: The answer.
1: Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 13th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2020. So, was it good for you? Did you enjoy it? Did you get out to one of the, I don't know, maybe one third to one half of the stores that actually reopened yesterday under the strict. Guidelines put forth by the little dictator, uh, Governor Mike DeWine, or shall I say by Governor Amy Acton and her assistant, Mike DeWine. Uh, yesterday, some stores opened, some salons opened, and we are scheduled on Friday to have restaurants open, especially, well, not especially, only, I should say, uh, on the outside. Because the virus doesn't live on the patios. It only lives inside the restaurants. You gotta understand that. Until the 21st, then the virus won't live inside the restaurants anymore either. Then you can go in and eat safely inside the restaurants. So because we've, we've been told this by the governor of the state of Ohio. So a little bit by little bit, things are opening up until, of course, we see a little bit of a spike, in which case the brakes will be slammed on once again, and we will be told, stay in your rooms, listen to Mommy and Daddy, you're grounded. So just a little bit of update as to where we are in the state of Ohio as we get you started this morning. We have a lot of ground to cover, including one of the most extraordinary And dangerous pieces of legislation ever to be put forth by the United States Congress which is supposed to be a relief bill it is supposed to be an economic stimulus bill written by Nancy Pelosi and her band of demon rats uh, it's a three trillion dollar wish list of just just about every piece of social engineering that you can imagine it was an amazing breakdown last night. Tucker Carlson and his research staff did a, did a phenomenal job of, page, uh, of pouring through 1,800 pages of nonsense. And, uh, condensed it to about a five minute summary of what's really in this bill that is being described by some Republican senators as being DOA, dead on arrival. Don't even bother passing it, Nance. You bring it over here. That is getting crushed immediately. But that does not mean we don't have to take it up because we want you to know what they're up to. The fact that it has not a chance in Hades of flying or of passing, rather, I should say, uh, doesn't mean we should just ignore it. Uh, it is, uh, it is, honestly breathtaking in its scope and what they are trying to accomplish here. And so we do need to shine a spotlight on that so we can show you what they are trying to push through. Because that will help you, by the way, I think, decide on what party you want to vote for in various races, Not not the least of which is the presidential race, of course, but coming up in November if we are allowed to have an election. All right, so we've got uh, all of that to get into, and then of course yesterday, a judge, an Obama-appointed judge, Judge Sullivan, the one who once, the man who once called in open court, um, three-star General Michael Flynn, treasonous in lying to the FBI and or the the Vice President, he has slammed the brakes on William Barr, the Attorney General's. Um, uh, not pardon, what's the word I'm looking for, dropped charges, excuse me, dropped charges against Michael Flynn saying, yeah, before I accept that, I am asking for third parties to issue amicus briefs. Third party, um, parties who are not actually involved in this prosecution or in the defense, but anybody outside that wants to submit an amicus brief, we will consider them before I will just dismiss this case altogether. Absolutely, once again, an activist... Obama loyalist pretending to be a judge, an activist in a robe, is getting in the way of what the Department of Justice has decided is not prosecutable and is absolutely not, uh, should not be prosecuted because of the nefarious wrongdoings and misdeeds of the FBI. So we'll have that story to get into as well. Uh, coming up in about a half an hour, by the way, we will have a guest joining us, Dr. Russell Blaylock. Uh, will be on the program with us to talk about the never-ending discussion of masks. Dr. Blaylock is a nationally recognized board-certified neurosurgeon, health practitioner, author, and lecturer, and he will be joining us from Mississippi, I believe it is, and he will tell us uh, why it is that the mask mandates that are being put forth in a lot of states, and in a modified fashion for employees and workers in the state of Ohio, why they are so wrong-headed and potentially dangerous. But, we're gonna start now with doctor Fauci. Doctor Fauci yesterday, of course, I don't know why, but doctor Fauci has somehow some some way become the only epidemiologist that that the entire world can trust about how to deal with the coronavirus. And I know I'm being a little bit facetious there. In fact I'm being a lot facetious, but that's how he's treated with reverence that, you know, is quite frankly, at least from what we've observed in this particular pandemic. Rather undeserved, because he and Dr. Burks have been wrong from the very beginning. He and Dr. Burks took the Imperial College of England's uh, model and ran with it down to the president's office and said, Sir, look at this. There's going to be two million dead Americans. You had a lockdown right now. And they were wrong. It was wrong. The science was wrong. Imperial College was wrong. And then later on they said, Sir. Look at this one from the University of Washington. There are going to be millions of dead Americans, if we don't lock down now. And they were wrong again, but yet somehow he is the face of this whole thing. He is the face of the Obama, or the Obama, excuse me, the slip there. He is the face of the Corona, not Obama, Corona. (laughs) The coronavirus uh, task force uh, put together by the White House, headed up by Mike Pence, but uh, clearly Dr. Fauci is the face, and he testified yesterday before a Senate committee about. And even
2: if we get better control over the months, it is likely that there will be virus somewhere in this on this planet that will eventually get back to us. So my my approach towards the possibility of a rebound and a second wave in the fall is that a It's entirely conceivable and possible that it would happen. But B, I would hope that between now and then, given the capability of doing the testing that you've heard from (coughs) General Giroir and the ability of us to stock up on personal protective equipment and the workforce that the CDC under Dr. Redfield will be putting forth to be able to identify, isolate, and contact trace, I hope that if we do have the threat, of a second wave, we will be able to deal with it very effectively.
1: So Dr. Fauci continuing to fear monger and spread gloom and doom and panic and uh, anxiety to the population over a virus that 99.9% of the population is safe from wants you to know that it could come back and affect 1% of the population or less again in the fall. So you better be careful about reopening things. And schools? (laughs) Schools, you say? No. Nobody's going to be going to schools. Schools are very dangerous because they have people in them and they have close contact. And those people, young people, even though they may not be uh, particularly vulnerable, they may come into contact with other people who are vulnerable. Fauci said in his question yesterday about opening schools that we just have to take it on a step-by-step basis. We have a very large country, and the dynamics of the outbreak are different in different regions of the country, so I would imagine that situations regarding school will be very different in one region versus another. In other words, kick the can down the road till the fall. Let the American people suffer a little while longer. Let the American children Continue to go another semester or more without education. And if you think that I'm saying they're not being educated very well by the laptop learning that is being done now, you're correct. All of this virtual classroom stuff, and our kids are going to school in their dining rooms or in their bedrooms, and they're doing their lessons on their computer. That is not education, not by a long shot, and the Ameri- the children of this country cannot just survive and in fact not I won't even say survive they will survive but they cannot thrive if they are continuing to miss miss extraordinarily parts of their education at the most formidable time for their young minds for the young brains which is what we're we're talking about here and that is why some senators yesterday, in talking to Dr. Fauci, the expert that cannot be questioned for some strange reason, said to him, um, no, you can't do this. Our children's uh, futures matter here. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina is one of my favorite members of the federal government. Uh, he's, he's phenomenal. He's a guy that I truly, truly believe will be a major force in 2024 for the Republican nomination. I like Tim Scott. I've always liked him since he's been in the Senate and since I've known about him. I liked him even more after he said this to Dr. Fauci yesterday. We
3: are taking every measure to protect our older South Carolinians as well as those with underlying conditions. But when we set out to flatten the curve by taking aggressive, unprecedented measures like staying-at-home orders and mass small business closures, we didn't set out with the goal of preventing 100% fatalities. That would be unrealistic. It is impossible. And we didn't set out to keep quarantines in place until we found a safe and effective vaccine that would take too long. Dr. Redfield, your agency put out a helpful graphic showing two curves. One, which spiked quickly and peaked high, reflected daily cases without protective measures. The other... Flatter curve showed cases with those measures in place. And the whole point, which the graphic illustrated, was to make sure that we did not exceed hospital capacity. So, while I respect the need for caution, we are too often presented with a false dichotomy, either saving our economy or saving lives. We've seen the goalposts around flattening the curve move. And I think that's unfortunate, because at the same time we're doing that, businesses have collapsed. Mental and physical health have declined. Depths of despair escalate. educational outcomes nosedive as we wait in our living rooms, praying for some good news around therapies and around vaccines. We set out to flatten the curve, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. We need to do better, and we will do better.
1: That Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina speaking yesterday to Dr. Fauci and the rest of the panel there, uh, panel of, ge- of witnesses and senators, all of course do- done by virtual meetings. Uh, and he wasn't the only one speaking to Dr. Fauci, uh, about the need to stop moving the goalposts. We did not set out to establish a national policy or various states to establish statewide policy to lock everybody down until there are no deaths. It is not possible. We didn't set out to lock everybody down until there is zero risk of somebody getting coronavirus. That is not possible. We set to lock everybody down under quarantine until we knew that the hospitals and medical centers would not be overrun by patients that they could not treat. That was what was ordered, and that's what was done. Now they do indeed continue to move the goposts, and a number of us, a massive number of us, probably, dare I say, well over 100 million people have suffered because of this. When I say 100 million, here's what I mean. There are 33 million who have filed for unemployment in the last six weeks. 33 million Americans. Let's multiply that by uh, probably three at least to cover the average family of four. So we're talking about 100 million people, but we know that number is low, and it's going to be actually increased um when the new numbers come out tomorrow, when the unemployment filings are announced, as they are every Thursday. So we're talking probably 110 to maybe 120 million Americans negatively impacted by job job losses alone. Then add to that the impact on the children who are not able to go to school and who are not learning by laptop, not learning a bit. And I can point to a lot of examples of that as well. But right now, we'll take a time out. I just gave you Senator Tim Scott's statement to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield. But you want to hear Senator Rand Paul as well. He'll be next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 926. Uh, but I, I want to say this about Dr. Fauci. Um, one positive thing from yesterday. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the Democrat uh, minority leader in the United States Senate, uh made a point of of speaking about Dr. Fauci prior to yesterday's testimony and said that this will be his first opportunity to speak on the coronavirus and the response without the president, how did he say it, like leaning over his shoulder or, or, or ma- ma- watching him over his shoulder, something basically essentially saying that President Trump was trying to intimidate him whenever he would talk. So he said, Dr. Fauci, let it rip. Now you can speak out without Trump being there to try to intimidate you. And... To Dr. Fauci's credit, he also said this yesterday.
2: Yes, no, there is certainly not a confrontational relationship between me and the president. Uh, As I've mentioned many times, I give uh, advice, opinion based on evidence-based scientific information. Uh, He hears that. uh, He respects it. He gets opinions from a variety of other people. But in no way, in my experience over the last several months, has there been any confrontational relationship between us?
1: So I found that to be very um, surprising and very um, inspiring, I guess, a little bit. Because, uh, you know, most of the Democrats were just begging for him to rip President Trump and say Trump is the obstacle here and we would be doing way better without him. But having said all of that, there was some ripping that needed to be done. And Senator Rand Paul provided said ripping, and again, in a moderate uh, kind of way.
4: With With regard regard to going going back to school, school...
1: One thing that was left out of that discussion
4: is uh, mortality. I mean, shouldn't we at least be discussing what the mortality of children is? Um, This is for Dr. Fauci as well. You know, the mortality between zero and 18 in the New York data approaches zero. It's not going to be absolutely zero, but it almost approaches zero. Between 18 and 45, the mortality in New York was uh, 10 out of 100,000. So really we do need to be thinking about that. We need to uh, observe with an open mind what went on in Sweden where the kids kept going to school. The mortality per capita in Sweden is actually less than France, less than Italy, less than Spain, less than Belgium, less than the Netherlands, about the same as Switzerland. But basically I don't think there's anybody arguing that what happened in Sweden is an unacceptable result. I think people are intrigued by it and we should be. I don't think any of us are certain when we do all these modelings. There have been more people wrong with modeling than right. We're opening up a lot of economies around the, around the U.S., and I hope that people who are predicting doom and gloom and saying, oh, we can't do this, there's going to be a surge, will admit that they were wrong if there isn't a surge, because I think that's what's going to happen. In rural states, we never really reached any sort of pandemic levels in Kentucky and other states. We have less deaths in kentucky than we have in in an an average flu season it's not to say this isn't deadly but really outside of new england we've had a relatively benign course for this virus nationwide and i think the one size fits all that we're going to have a national strategy and nobody's going to go to school is kind of ridiculous we really ought to be doing it school district by school district and the power needs to be dispersed because people make Wrong predictions. And really the history of this, when we look back, will be of wrong prediction after wrong prediction after wrong prediction, starting with uh, Ferguson in England. So I think we ought to have a a little bit of humility in in our uh, belief that we know what's best for the economy. And as much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person that gets to make a decision.
1: If I didn't want to break my microphone, I would drop it right now. Because that was a mic drop moment by Senator Rand Paul. You are not the be-all, end-all. You don't get to be the one person who makes all of these decisions, especially after you trumpeted wrong prediction after wrong prediction after wrong prediction. It is wrong to, for all of us to have to rely on one guy who has proven to be flawed, if not downright fraudulent. And let's leave it there. We'll take a time out now at the bottom of the hour for the news. On the flip side, the mask debate rages, and we're going to pick it up. There's a viral column that has been written by a neurosurgeon who says that wearing face masks is not only useless in trying to prevent the spread of the disease, it is potentially very dangerous for healthy people to wear them for long periods of time. Dr. Russell Blaylock will talk to us about that next on AM 1420, The Answer. 9.35, 9.35, now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take a break from the education issue. And I've got a lot more information, by the way, on the return to schools that was discussed yesterday with Dr. Fauci in front of the Senate committee. Uh, but we're now going to go back to the mask debate. We have discussed this ad nauseum, and it continues to be a, a, a topic of discussion for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is the conflicting messages from some of the so-called experts from the CDC and from, yes, the aforementioned Coronavirus Task Force face Dr. Fauci, who once said, no, 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 just two short months ago, you don't need to be wearing masks if you are healthy. Those are for sick people, only people who are sick. Then, of course, he has said, yeah, everybody should be wearing the masks. It should be, I'm very encouraged when I see uh, people in public wearing masks, because that's what you should be doing. So it's a little bit confusing. And our next guest has written a very extensive article, well-founded in research, about two points. Number one, how well do surgical masks or face coverings? How well do they actually prevent the spread of infection or of disease? But then secondly, are there health risks posed to the wearer? If you are healthy and wearing it for a long period of time, could it actually be dangerous for you? Short answer is yes. I'll let him explain how and why. Dr. Russell Blaylock joins us now. He's the author of the Blaylock Wellness Report newsletter. He's a nationally recognized board certified neurosurgeon and health practitioner, author, and lecturer. And he joins us now on AM1420 the answer uh dr. Blaylock good to have you on the program
5: how are you well thank you I appreciate you inviting me uh
1: my pleasure you're coming to us from Mississippi correct that's correct good to good to have you I I learned something new today for some reason I did not know that Mississippi was in the central time zone but I know that now so thanks for getting up an hour earlier than we expected you would have to for doing this interview okay dr. Blaylock uh, let's talk your article which is running on uh, the um Citizens for Free Speech website at citizensforfreespeech.org, as well as technocracy.news and other places, has taken off tens of thousands, perhaps over 100,000 views and, uh, and tons of activity on this. I think a lot of people are shocked to find out what you are telling us, that masks not only are not proven to be effective deterrents for the spread of disease, but they can be unhealthy for the wearer as well. So let's start with part one and tell us about the studies that have been done or studies that have not proven, quite frankly, that wearing these masks will stop the spread of COVID-19 or any other infectious disease.
5: Well, a couple of things. First, you have to realize that, there has not been any studies with COVID nineteen as far as spread and using a mask. What they have to depend on is previous studies in which they looked at influenza, and one of the best uh, analysis was done of this. Uh, they picked the seventeen best studies uh, that had been conducted, uh, and they analyzed these seventeen studies, and they concluded. And I quote from their conclusion: None of the studies establishes as a a conclusive relationship between mask or respirator use and protection against influenza infection so they didn't find uh, any conclusive evidence so all of this is based on uh, it may and it may not uh, so we go from there now one of the examples if you have someone who has tuberculosis for instance you have them wear the mask not the entire surrounding uh, area not everybody in the state uh, only they wear the mask because they're the one uh, spreading the, the infection. So uh, that kind of settles that question. All the studies are, are inconclusive and, and cannot make that uh, assumption that it works. <clears throat>
1: The studies that you point out, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about a myriad of studies, right? This isn't just one or two small random sample studies. You're talking about a number of studies that have been conducted, none on COVID-19, as you point out, but on other, uh, uh, on other infectious diseases. Um, uh, th- there are a number of them that show that not only is this, um, uh, you know, unproven, Uh, They haven't proven anything in terms of protecting people from uh, infectious diseases. But these studies are are essentially the only studies there are, right? There is nothing that shows that they do protect and prevent. And there are a number of them that show there is absolutely no evidence that that they will.
5: Yes, that's correct. In fact, most of them concluded (coughs) that the best thing is washing your hands, not use of masks. Uh, so th- there was, there was no consensus here saying it's absolutely uh, proven and, and we, uh, come to the conclusion you should wear a mask to prevent spread of respiratory infections. That's just, it's mm-hmm. not, uh, uh, being said by real scientific authorities.
1: No studies have been done to demonstrate that either the cloth mask or the N95 mask has any effect on transmission of the virus. Uh, any recommendations, therefore, have to be based on studies of influenza, as you say. Uh, talk a little bit more about the difference between the cloth masks or the surgical masks, if you will, and the N95 respirator masks.
5: Well, the cloth mask is what surgeons use, and it's it's uh, either cloth or it's mostly paper uh, fiber Uh, And it doesn't fit close to the face, and so the air can go uh, above the mask to the sides, and it's not really that effective. In fact, they're even saying now it may not prevent infections in surgery either. Uh, They didn't find any difference between not wearing a mask and wearing a mask uh, during surgery. Um, The N95 mask fits tightly on the face. It's a much smaller filtration uh, fiber. Uh, so it, it uh, reduces the large uh, uh, particle that you're exhaling, uh, mm-hmm. and that's the, the main advantage there, but it restricts the airflow considerably.
1: Okay. Fact, now, that's there's, the, there's a, I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead and finish that thought.
5: Yeah. In fact, there's a, a study that shows it's up to a 20% reduction in oxygenation uh, in people who wear the N95 mask.
1: 20%. That's a huge number. Um, and I want to go, let, let's move a little bit more into this now. Um. Because, again, I, my focus was on the number of studies uh, that have been done as far as the uh, restriction of the transmission of disease. But there's even more studies that have been done showing the dangers of wearing a mask for a long period of time, uh, especially if you have a respiratory disease of some kind. that's not COVID-19, but we're talking about things like perhaps flu, uh, perhaps pneumonia, uh, you know, emphysema, COPD, a number of things that if people who are ordered by governments to wear these masks and they have these conditions their health is in great danger can you tell us more and again the studies here are not one or two it's a myriad of studies or a number of these that really prove this is a dangerous uh, order i think for the government to give
5: yeah because what you look at is the side effects of wearing a mask for any period of time is headaches or increased airway resistance carbon dioxide accumulation hypoxia, which is low oxygen, uh, all the way to serious life-threatening complications. And one of these studies, once they looked at the N95 mass, uh and they looked at 212 healthcare workers, uh, headaches were, occurred in about a third of the people. Sixty uh, percent of these headaches required medication to, to alleviate. And as I said, you're reducing the oxygenation as much as 20%. Uh, Another another study just looked at the cloth mask and and the paper mask that surgeons wear, and they measured oxygenation during surgery and found that there was a significant drop in oxygen blood levels uh, after wearing these masks during a surgical procedure. And the studies also indicated that not only did it cause headaches and other problems, but also interfered with the quality of work they could do. They felt like they were hampered. Uh, uh, during uh, trying to perform their, their various tasks. Now, the the real concern is the frail elderly and people with pulmonary diseases like COPD and emphysema, or pulmonary fibrosis, post surgical lung uh, cases. Uh, these people already are on marginal oxygen, uh, uh ability to, to oxygenate their blood, and then you put a mask on them and drop that oxygen even more, they could pass out, hit their head, and and die from a head injury, which has happened. Uh, We recently had one person driving around with an N95 mask on. He passed out and crashed into a tree uh, and was injured. Uh, He could have hit someone else and killed him. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that we're now beginning to see with this widespread use of masks. And I worry about these people who have these lung diseases and they're being forced uh, to wear a mask. Uh, it's, it's quite dangerous for them.
1: you write, right, Dr. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Russell Blaylock. He is a neurosurgeon and he is a wellness expert. And Dr. Blaylock, you write in this column again, which kind of has gone viral, the other danger to wearing these masks, or excuse me, there is a danger to wearing these masks on a daily basis, especially if worn for several hours. When a person is infected with the respiratory virus, they will expel some of the virus with each breath. If they're wearing a mask, especially the N95 and other tight-fitting masks, they'll be constantly rebreathing the viruses, raising the concentration of the virus in the lungs and nasal passages. So this, I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it, and I'm not the doctor here, but are we essentially saying that wearing masks... Uh, on a long-term basis, if you have a respiratory illness, could be could potentially be fatal to you.
5: Yes, and the other thing, uh, uh, most of them agree that the, the side effects are due to the hypoxia. Mm-hmm. And we know that hypoxia interferes with immunity. So the people that are constantly wearing these masks, uh, going in stores and things and driving around with it, they're getting a sufficient hypoxia that's going to interfere with their number one virus-killing immune cell, which is called the CD4 T-lymphocyte. And that's because it raises a factor called HIF. And that not only inhibits your functional T-lymphocyte, but it stimulates a very powerful immune inhibitor cell called the T-reg. Uh, And that uh, puts you at a risk now. You're going to be easier to infect. And if you get infected, you'll have a worse uh Infection, um, and the other thing is if you happen to have your, say your patient who has lung cancer or you have another cancer somewhere in your body, uh, as you build up hypoxia, that stimulates cancer growth and spread. Uh, that's, that's well known. So you're actually endangering these, these patients, these people who are walking around, uh, with these cancerous tumors. But the thing that mm-hmm. really concerned me the most is that because this mask is confining the virus to be uh, rebreathed, going up into the nose at higher and higher concentrations as you wear it, what we know is that it uh, that virus enters the olfactory nerves, the nerves that you smell with.
2: Mm-hmm. And
5: those nerves go directly to the brain, and a part of the brain that has to do with recent memory and uh, what we call memory consolidation. So as that virus enters the brain, it begins to produce an encephalitis-type picture, uh, which damages your brain and can do so permanently. Uh, and there is a, a new study looking at COVID-19 and found, indeed, the number one transmission in the brain is through the nose, through the olfactory nerve. Uh, and no one's telling anyone about this, and by forcing people to wear these masks, Uh, you're putting that at a higher risk of having, uh, the brain involvement of this virus.
1: That, that is, and as a neurosurgeon, you're, you're speaking your own language here. Uh, there's a lot of language in your article that a lot of people won't understand. They, they'll have a hard time understanding hypoxia and hypercapnia and some of the other things. We you talk about the T lymphocytes and the Tregs, et cetera. But let's boil this down and make it, you know, in layman's terms, wearing masks. Not proven by any study to actually stop the infection and the spread of the spread of infection, and by many studies has been proven to be very dangerous, potentially dangerous to wearers in the long term. so having said that summary, tell me in your opinion, Dr. Blaylock, why are so many state governments and even at the federal level are they recommending to everybody now by the way, you know long past the peak in most states for the uh, uh, um cases of the covid-19 virus why now are they telling everybody they want them in these things in your opinion
5: well you'll notice that you never ever have seen anthony fauci wearing a mask you don't see uh uh deborah bix wearing a mask or any of them wearing a mask so uh, they're telling everyone else you should constantly have a mask on and we never see them anywhere with a mask on uh and they know that it doesn't do any. Uh, significant uh, uh, good in reducing the spread of the virus. Uh, and a, <clears throat> a great deal of what they're proposing is and not even through any scientific authority. It's governors are doing it. Mayors are doing it. And they don't understand the science. They're just saying, well, everybody ought to have a mask on because to them it kind of makes common sense. But the studies show, well, it may make common sense, but that's not what we're finding. And if there's a danger that No one is talking about a number of dangers uh, that are quite severe. Now, you look at all the things they're proposing, putting infected patients in nursing homes, and you're claiming that you're making me wear a mask to not spread infection to the the elderly, uh, and then now you have a policy to put infected in a nursing home. That's going to kill thousands to hundreds of thousands of people in nursing homes if you do that. Uh, they opened the, the large stores, but closed the small stores. What sense does that make? How many more people are in a large store than a small store? Uh, they close beaches. Well, the UV light from the sun kills the virus. There's no danger of the virus being spread on a beach. That's sheer nonsense. There's no science behind that. Uh, they're closing so, so, dr.
1: Blaylock, let me, let me jump in on that. and I apologize for the intrusion, but we 're up against our break here, uh, and I want to ask one final question of you because uh, everything you 're saying is is very reasonable and sensible to me. What do you think the end game here is? Why do you suppose that they yesterday, Dr. Fauci told that Senate panel that he thinks we could have another spike in the fall, uh, we should be very cautious. there is a risk of needless suffering and death if we reopen the country too soon. What do you think his end game or their end game is, Dr. Blaylock?
5: Fauci is after one thing. He is connected to a number of vaccine manufacturers and he gets money from them. He's gotten millions of dollars uh, from vaccine manufacturers, according to, to a number of sources, and he belongs to numerous uh, global uh, international groups. Bill Gates uh, is number one, Welcome Foundation, a number of vaccine producers all belong to the same. Uh, global uh, organizations that uh, Anthony Fauci belongs to, and this is his game. He wants to delay this until they make a vaccine, and then they're planning on mandatory vaccinating the entire planet, according to Bill Gates. Um, and if they do, you're going to see a much worse medical effect because this is going to damage millions and millions of That's people. <laughs>
1: Well, Dr. Blaylock, I really appreciate you writing what you wrote and really kind of sharing the science with people about these masks because right now it is just a whole bunch of laymen uh, screaming, wear the mask, and other people saying, no, you can't make me. I'm glad there's science that says there's a reason why perhaps people should avoid wearing masks if they are healthy or if they are actually respiratory compromised because it could be even more dangerous for them. Dr. Blaylock, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Dr. Russell Blaylock, author of the Blaylock Wellness Report and, and a well known neuros, neurosurgeon, joining us on AM 1420. The answer. We'll be right back.
5: 958.
1: I want to remind you, thanks again to Dr. Russell Blaylock for uh, shining a light on the dangers, the unproven uh, um, suggestion that masks will stop the spread of respiratory diseases, not proven by any, and there were many studies that tried to prove it, but not proven by any, any of those studies, and then plenty of proven studies that show that uh, wearing the mask when you're healthy can be a very dangerous thing. It can lead to a number of conditions that can cause serious problems for you. So I really appreciate him coming on. I want to remind you, by the way, about a great event coming up uh, today at 4 p.m., or excuse me, 7 p.m. our time. 7 p.m., 4 p.m. is Pacific. And that is uh, No Safe Spaces Facebook Live event. Not allowed to laugh, free speech, and the death of comedy. It's hosted by Eric Metaxas, and uh, it stars, of course, Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager. It also has special guest comedians there. It's a one-hour-long conversation about the state of comedy. And free speech today. And, of course, it's based on the great movie No Safe Spaces, which you should be watching online at nosafespaces.com while you can. Uh, it is the death of free speech in America. I know that sounds a little bit overstated, a little bit over the top, but it's truly not. They're coming for you if they don't like what you say. So uh, take a look at uh, the event. To be a part of it, follow No Safe Spaces on Facebook, and then questions for Eric and Dennis and Adam can be asked on Facebook using the hashtag No Safe Spaces. Be a part of that great Facebook Live event tonight at 7 p.m. and watch No Safe Spaces at No Safe Spaces now. Save 25% on the price, by the way, by using the promo code SAVE25. SAVE, S-A-V-E, 25 for SAVE25%. Do not miss the uh, Not Allowed to Laugh facebook live event today featuring the stars of no safe spaces tonight at seven for us it's ten o'clock now that means news time and on the flip side all you for the next hour i canceled a 1035 guests because i want to be able to talk about everything that's going on right now with respect to the virus yesterday's fauci testimony and more so phone lines will be open at 216 and 888-281-1110 for a full hour of calls and important commentary